Hey ladies, welcome to the Core 4 Momentum podcast, empowering women in pelvic health. In this podcast, we will uncover all aspects of women's health and pelvic health. This podcast is hosted by the Core 4 team, a strong group of pelvic health physical therapy experts who are passionate about advocating for women's health and changing the world one pelvis at a time. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to find out how to join our free private Facebook group of empowered women. If you join, you will have access to free pelvic health education and you will become part of a strong community of ladies. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, today we are interviewing Laurel Gimarais. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, so Laurel, can you tell us a little bit about um, who you are, what your credentials are, and um, where you live, where you work? Just a little background information for our listeners. Yes, so I am a registered dietitian nutritionist or an RD, or, um, and I have a master's in human nutrition, um, and I'm a certified doula and childbirth educator. Um, I work in Atlanta. I'm from Atlanta. I kind of work outside of Atlanta in Peachtree Corners area, and um, I my business is called Zen Journey, LLC, um, and it's a private practice where I take patients from different insurance companies and also anybody else who, even if you don't have insurance, I still can see people. Um, but I get the majority of clients from insurance companies, like, um, you know, just private insurance companies. And they come to see me about a variety of things, um, whether, you know, chronic diseases or, you know, trying to be just healthy living and stuff like that. Um, but my special interest is in women's health and especially surrounding um, pre-pregnancy, preconception, and during pregnancy and postpartum, that's kind of my area of interest um, as not only a childbirth educator, but as a dietitian, Mm -hmm. it kind of, you know, that's kind of why I became a childbirth educator is because that was sort of something that I was drawn to during college. Um, But, I got my master's in human nutrition in the community um, path, because there are different paths you can take at like general, clinical, or community, because that focused more on women's health and children's and, and elderly people's um, nutrition. So I just kind of wanted to learn more about that. And so my hope is for the future is to work more with um, not only dual clients who are typical dual clients, but working with women who are trying to conceive, working with women who want to have good nutrition during pregnancy and kind of, and and postpartum care as well. And then of course, um, I wanna kind of spread why it's so important to have good nutrition during that life cycle, stage in the life cycle, because it's very not it's very much not emphasized, um, even though in public health, it's very well known that it's very important, but it's just not something that really exists right now, um, for the most part. 
So I really would like to see that in the future become more of a specialty that that people can actually get a, a specialty credential for. As that is right now, you, there isn't anything like that. So mm -hmm. okay. I just kind of hope to draw on patients like that in the future. Yeah. So what for you, like what came first? Was it like your interest in like childbirth education or like the nutrition side? So um, it was nutrition. I, you know, I went to college to be a dietitian, but during that journey, there are different, very many different parts, sectors of being a dietitian. You know, you can be a very clinical dietitian. You could be someone who works in food service, you know, and like um, as far as food production. Um, and then there's, you know, community nutrition. And within, within each of those, there are different paths that you can take. Um, and we took a lot of classes that exposed us, exposed us to a lot of different parts of that. And I was just very drawn to that phase of life um, because of many reasons. Um, I mean, I can, I really do want to discuss that a little later. Um, mm -hmm. Some of those reasons why it is so important to have good nutrition during that period of time. But also I just very much, I like that type of patient. Um, I like the, I like the newness and the excitement of being, having a new life coming in. It's a little bit different than dealing with people um, who are unwell and suffering. And as someone who's very empathetic, I take a lot of that home with me. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's easier on, <laughs> not easier on me, but in a way it's better for my mental health as, as me as a person mm -hmm. to deal with a little bit, a different type of population who they do need help, but yeah. also they're, they have a very great um, atmosphere around them. So that's kind of what drew me to that. And then through that, I, I discovered doula and all that comes into that. And I was very interested in that. I, was, I just was like, well, I really would like to learn more about that. And I want to be one. And, you know, then I became one after my undergraduate. Um, between that and my internship, I took that time and became a doula. And then I was like, well, that's not enough. So I wanted to be a childbirth educator. And I went and became a childbirth educator. Mm -hmm. um, because that just deepens your education even more about the whole process. Um, so I feel like with all those things and my internship and, you know, my, my master's, I, I feel um, very comfortable with that population. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that's, that's where that came from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's like normal. I think all like providers tend to be like drawn to a certain um like demographic or population so um like for mm -hmm. me it is women's health also or pelvic health in general so I kind of get mm -hmm. where you're coming from you're like yeah like just something about that population is like special yeah and it's it's funny because um you know when before even I knew that you were um that was your specialty I I had been reading about the fact that many women need physical therapy after birth and don't receive it so many so many because it's not been something that's been emphasized by most general providers um and they were talking about how few pelvic floor physical therapists there are and I was like oh that's so sad it made me so sad <laughs> and, and then I met you and you told me that you're doing that I was like that is so exciting because I really am happy to see that becoming 
coming out. Well, not that it necessarily is coming out in the forefront, but at least I know someone who's who takes interest in that. And yeah. so that makes me happy. I feel like the birth world is changing and, sure. and for the better. And a lot of things surrounding women's health is changing for the better. Mm -hmm. Which makes me very happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, awesome. So, so I personally like don't know a ton about like doulas and childbirth educators. So can you um, tell me more about like doula versus childbirth educator and like what training is needed for like each one? Yeah, so, so a doula is, a lot of people don't know what a doula is. And I didn't know what a doula was before I looked into it either. But a doula is kind of like someone who's privately contracted by the family or the woman or the birthing person um, mm -hmm. to assist them emotionally and physically and advocate for them during birth. And that can also mean sometimes they want to talk to a doula before they, they give birth as well to kind of prepare themselves for what's that going to be like, you know, asking questions that providers didn't really answer for them. Not necessarily that we, that doulas know more, but often providers are rushed and don't have much time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also sadly very common that many women feel neglected by providers. Um, they feel that many providers don't really listen to their concerns. That's, that is a huge problem that's pretty widespread. And so as a doula, I mean, providers and doulas sometimes can have a rocky relationship mm -hmm. because doulas tend to advocate for their patients. And some doulas can be very aggressive about this while, you know, which is one of the reasons why training is so important, um, not only to help you learn how to take care of someone physically while they're going through birth, how to act while, while someone's going through something that can be very intense, intense emotions and intense feelings, um, you know, providing that safe energy that they can feed off of, um, but also learning how to speak to people properly so that you're not coming across as rude or aggressive when you're standing up for somebody. So that's a lot of what that comes into because during birth, um, especially hospital births, women tend to be afraid um, for a wide variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but having a doula there is a comfort because one of the differences between a doula and a midwife is that a midwife is there as a medical professional. They're there to make sure that the mother's okay, that the baby's okay, and that the birth is going according to plan. If something goes wrong, they can help medically fix whatever the problem is. So they don't have time as much as they may want to. And even the same goes for providers. They don't have time to sit there and hold the, the client's hand and make sure that they're okay and make sure that they're emotionally okay and to reassure them that everything's normal. Um, a doula does just that. They sit next to the, the client the entire time. You know, they give them physical relief if they want it. Um, sometimes they just stand and, and teach the partner if there's a partner, you know, these are the ways that you can help your partner go through this and um, also make sure that when the nurse or the physician comes in and says, we're going to do this to you now, um, the doula often will turn to the patient and say, 
the doctor says that, you know, we want, he wants to do this. Are you okay with that? So it's very much about informed consent because mm -hmm. there are many times when th that doesn't happen mm -hmm. um, when it should. So that's a big part of being a doula as well. Um, ensuring that the patient is having, truly having informed consent for every part of the process. Mm -hmm. So, okay. um, so that's a lot. I know I just talked a lot, of, <laughs> um, but and I'm not sure if I sidetracked exactly from what we were meaning to, you were asking. I had a couple of questions come up while you were saying that. Sure. Like, well, so one is like in your like in your experience with your past clients, have you have they said that they felt like unheard by providers as one? And then two, like as a doula, when you're in the delivery room, have you like felt that any I guess tension between like doulas and like medical providers? Well, yes, for both of those answers. So that I mean, I, I'm not gonna cite any specific, you know, um, instances, but I will just say in general, there have been times when providers, you know, midwives and, and OBGYN, you know, obstetricians alike, um, both kind of brush off the birthing person's feelings or concerns um, because it, and it's not because, you know, they're a cold person or anything like that. It's just because this is what they do all day, mm -hmm. you know, and they see so many people, um, going through this and, and they're just it just becomes some for some people it just becomes very routine and they aren't really phased and they don't they kind of lose some of the compassion um not that they it's not that they don't care it's just that they're trying to be practical and they have a lot to do and a lot of people to see and a lot of people to take care of and a lot of people demanding things of them and yeah, sometimes yeah. birthing people can be quite rude during birth because they're going through a lot and and so they can be snappy and and rude to the nurses and and so uh, something that i do is when my clients are rude to the nurses which happens a lot mm -hmm. i'll say i'm so sorry you know she's feeling a lot of pain mm -hmm. you know and i'll you know i won't say that in front of the birthing person but i'll call <laughs> the nurse and i'm like thank you so much for helping and kind of work as like a liaison between the two so yeah. that the nurse feels appreciated because the nurses work very hard mm -hmm. and because if that doesn't happen often they get snappy and grumpy with the patient and then there's this issue this um bad feelings between the patient and mistrust so if if there can be you know if the duel is there as somebody who kind of is a middleman between that those sorts of things that can help a lot um and providers can providers have been disrespectful to me in the past but i don't take it personally um mm -hmm. and i don't get upset by it i just brush it off and continue mm -hmm. and which is very different from my normal personality but when i'm in <laughs> doula mode i'm just like you know whatever i'm here to take the brunt of this for my patient mm -hmm. because that's what i'm there for yeah um, yeah. I've never been in a labor delivery situation or room, but I assume it's very like high stress and not always. It really just depends. Um, there are times when it can be like that. I think it really all depends on the level of anxiety of the birthing person and the family who's there. And plus, you know, the kind of things that are being said yeah. to the patient by the nurses and by the staff. So 
if the, the birthing person feels, you know, uncomfortable for any reason, um, because they feel like they're not being taken care of very well by the provider, I mean, or the nurses or, you know, there, there often can be more tension and more potential for disputes and neglect. Mm -hmm. um, because there are also times when the nurses just don't come for very long periods of time and the birthing person's alone. Um, and that can be a little bit concerning for them too. So it's just kind of making sure that everybody feels good and also standing up for people. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, doing things like massage and, 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 and um, other physical aid. Okay. Um, so I don't know much about that either. So, but we got that come up. <laughs> Well, um, and I wanted to say, because you, you, one of your questions was, uh, well, we did talk about, you know, a doula and what they do, but, you know, that is just, you don't necessarily have to have a certification at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, I would definitely recommend it just because I don't think that I would have known what to do going straight into that. I think most people don't necessarily know because even if, if, if whether you've had a child or not, whether you've had five children or none, every birth is different and you don't want to project your own beliefs onto the situation, whether, or, you know, so you really want to be trained in how to behave, um, on a, for a very wide variety of people. Um, so I really enjoyed the training that I did. I got trained through GTI, Dual Trainings International. I really like them because they talk a lot about being inclusive of all types of people and, you know, using language that that's inclusive for, you know, saying things like birthing people instead of the woman, because it may be someone who does not identify as a woman. So, you you know, learning to be respectful of all different types of patients that you might come into contact with. I noticed you were saying that and I was kind of wondering, and I was like, oh, she means like, yeah. So, so I really like that because that's not something that I necessarily was used to doing. It's not something I was taught in college to do, um, but that that kind of language can be helpful when you, you get into a situation when someone wants it used. So then you're not upsetting anyone um, by using the wrong words. And um, so that's what a dual is. And then midwife, you know, she's she is a nurse or he, usually she, mm -hmm. um, that they have different types of midwives. I'm not entirely, um, familiar with both one is more medical one they go through this long process and become certified in some other way mm -hmm. um and not everyone is necessarily allowed in every hospital so it just depends but they are nurses and they they are completely trained in natural childbirth so they are in my personal view they are they, well i'm not say that but they're, they're very um you could, you know, they can help you with most everything apart from surgery and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So if something were to go very wrong and say, you know, you needed to have a cesarean, that's when the OBGYN would step in mm -hmm. because the OBGYN is there for medical things. So they're trained in treating problems. So while the midwife's trained in normal birth, Mm -hmm. The OBGYN is trained in treating problems. So oftentimes, when if you have an OBGYN as your um, provider, they will come in to catch the baby. And that's the only thing that they will be there for. Mm 
if you have a normal birth with no complications. So they'll come in there and they'll kind of check at the very end. The nurses will let them know and then they'll come in and they'll catch the baby. And if the baby spits you up, if there's any tearing. Okay. So that's what they do. Mm -hmm. Midwives can also do small procedures like stitching and things like that. So um, they're, they're completely capable and trained and qualified more than even maybe an OBGYN to be there during birth. Mm -hmm. okay. So, yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, that definitely makes sense. Um, and then what about like, uh, oh, can you define what you mean by like natural childbirth? So natural childbirth isn't necessarily the absence of medication. Mm -hmm. um, when I say natural childbirth in that sense, I mean um, a vaginal birth. So, you know, if, sometimes people say just vaginal birth, but some people also mean natural birth means, you know, no epidural, no Pitocin or, you know, things like that. But, but when I say natural birth in the context that I've been using, I mean vaginal birth versus cesarean. Okay. Got it. <clears throat> yeah. And what about the, um, being like a birth educator? You said you had to do extra training for that too? Yeah. So for a childbirth educator, um, I went through DTI as well, Dual Trains International. And they have a lot of reading that you have to do. It's a more intensive course than it is to be a doula. The doula course was three months. The childbirth education was in a year. Wow. And it involved homework. And we had, you know, weekly Zoom chats that we had to be a part of and discussions. It was very much like a college class. Mm -hmm. um, but it was all about learning the ins and outs of what birth, everything surrounding birth, essentially. So... If I could, if I had a, a client who came to me and they wanted to understand, they don't know anything about birth, I should be able to walk them through the entire process, all the possibilities that come along with that, and also um, their choices that they can make. So the different choices that they can make and without also unbiased giving this information so that they can, because honestly, um, providers don't have time to give childbirth education to every single patient that comes in so it's just kind of filling in all the gaps that mm -hmm. exist and I guarantee there are many because even after um, like you can always learn something by by seeing a, a childbirth educator listening to a childbirth education class yeah um, they do provide them at at some hospitals but I have heard relatively negative things about those um, classes just because um, this is a rumor. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that this is absolutely true because I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but it, it very much, um, it seems to discourage, it seems to, it seems to be very biased in the way that it wishes to, people are sort of told that they won't be able to necessarily do everything they want during their birth. Um, so, and that's sort of, in my, what, my interpretation of that is that the hospitals are trying to discourage certain things that are inconvenient for mm -hmm. the staff. So, you know, what, what's different about paying someone in a private situation to, for a childbirth education is that you will get a lot more information and it won't be from one perspective. It offers many different perspectives. 
Okay. So some, if so, if, um, if a birthing person were looking for that kind of class, they should look, I mean, I mean, not for sure, but like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, um, there are a lot of great ones. I have a, I have a few favorites, but I'm not going to name any names because I don't feel like that'd be appropriate. But, um, you know, yeah, I would, I mean, for me, if I was looking for someone, I would definitely look at for, you know, look around on the internet and oftentimes you'll see them at yoga classes. There'll be childbirth educators who kind of come there on Wednesday nights or something mm -hmm. and talk with, with parents about that. They might have like a six week course or a three week course or even, you know, a day course where they talk about those things and they'll have the models and they'll show you what dilation looks like and they'll explain what happens to your body during that process um, and a lot of other things. So it's, I mean, there's a lot to learn and it's very empowering a lot of times for birthing people to go to those things because then they feel like they, when they understand what's happening to them, they feel a little bit less afraid and less out of control because they know what's going on with their body when it happens. Mm -hmm. um, and they also know their, cho their choices because a lot of people don't know their options going into it. They don't know what they want because they've never been pregnant before. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to tell them what to do necessarily. So it's good to have all those things laid out so they can make an informed decision about what they want to do going forward. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I have no idea. So I would definitely need to do that when that time comes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. So why did you become a doula and what is your favorite thing about it? Um, so I just became a doula because I wanted to be able to have a better understanding of, I didn't want to just work with pregnant women and be and just from a very one-sided situation where I'm as the dietitian, only the nutrition bit. I also want to see the struggles that they go through as well and be able to, even if I don't do my doula work as frequently as I might do my dietetics work mm -hmm. at least I have a better insight into the things that are going on with them because a lot of those things um I mean being a dietitian is a bit like being a detective at times or being a therapist a counselor so knowing what's going on in their day-to-day their -day lives affects what they eat and affects a lot of things so being a doula opened my eyes a lot mm -hmm. to potentials for problems with diet and problems and just in general just having a better well-rounded understanding of women's health in that context mm -hmm. and my favorite thing about being a doula it's hard to say it's it's very challenging it's very taxing emotionally and physically to go to a birth mm -hmm. um not you know there's a big thing with a lack of sleep but I can say that when it's over, it's so rewarding. Um, it's just, it just feels wonderful to be able to support someone in that way when nobody else knows what to do or nobody one else is doing those things. So it's, it just feels really good to me to put my hands on someone and help them in a very direct way. Um, and then afterwards, of course, you know, the baby is born, everyone's very happy. Mm -hmm. And it's just a great feeling. I think that when the baby is born, it's not just, oh, it's a cute baby. It's just like this person has triumphed. They, they, feel, they feel great because even though it was hard, 
they, they, they reach their goal and they're, they're just more than happy and they can hardly believe it. And it's just, it's very emotional. And I actually cry every time. Really? <laughs> I do every time. It's, I, I'm like, <laughs> I can't, I can't hold it back because it's just, every birth is different. So different. And um, it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's just a very emotional moment. And I, that's my favorite thing. And I go home with a little adrenaline rush. Even if I haven't slept, I go home and I'm like, that was great. And I want to talk about it. And I crash. <laughs> tell your husband about it and he's like what <laughs> well I, I you know I give him a synopsis you know of how everything went and then then I crash because usually I'm exhausted yeah right it's quite um it's not boring I'll put it that way mm-hmm. very involved <laughs> <laughs> um and so I'm really curious about this question so like in what ways do you s- support a mother during pregnancy versus labor delivery versus postpartum because I know you mentioned like you support physically and you mentioned some like massage or if there is a partner instructing the partner in some sorts of things like generally kind of what do you do well I'll go through you know pregnancy labor delivery and postpartum one by one just you know for sake of not letting me go into a tangent of <laughs> discussion um but I'll just say pregnancy. Most of the time, most people, I have various packages and I like, most people like to have a few post, uh, prenatal packages where they come in and they tell me, you know, these are the things that I want out of my birth. I want these things to happen. I don't want these things to happen. Um, and, you know, just their kind of vision. And sometimes people don't know. Some people, t- sometimes people are, are afraid people don't know what to expect and they don't know who who to ask and maybe they've gone to their doctor but they it was very medical and not very much talking about feelings so I'll sit there and I will talk about feelings and I'll um, help encourage and empower during pregnancy and also getting a feel for what the person is looking for as far as physical and emotional support during birth because everyone's quite different if you want you know, I, there's been situations where some people think that they want to have a massage during their birth, but when it comes to it, they very much don't want to be touched. So, you know, it's good to kind of get a feel for the person and develop a rapport with that person so that when you get there, you're not a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, you've already talked to them about all of their, desi- their concerns and their, their needs and their specific situations. So when you get into the birthing scenario, that person feels a little bit of trust and they feel that, that you understand their needs. So then during birth, um, you know, I basically just wait on that person exclusively the entire time. Another thing I forgot to mention is sometimes and oftentimes the partner of the birthing person wants to understand these things as well. So they often come and talk to me and ask questions, what should I do? You know, um, most of the time they aren't, they don't feel possessive about their duties. Sometimes that happens. And usually, um, they want to know what should I do? Where should I stand? What, you know, what should I expect? Should I do this? Should I do that? You know, all those sorts of things because they want to help, but oftentimes the doula helps between the dynamics of the couple as well, because it's a lot of pressure for the significant other to have to meet all of those needs with the history and the dynamics that they already have as a couple. So 
having an outside party come in and say, you know, yes, you're doing a great job, you know, go over there and do this for her or sit back and relax and just lay down. I'm going to take care of this. So that person feels like the pressure is taken off of them and they're able to be there in the ways that they normally are and that they know how to, because it's very distressing oftentimes for partners to see their significant others in distress or fear or pain um, in ways that they probably have never seen before. And so they like to know, they like to have a solid presence that says, this is normal, everything's okay. You know, so they, they don't feel the need to panic, you know, because they want, oftentimes partners want to help and protect and they, they feel that they can't. That can be very frustrating for them. So I stand in there for that as well. Um, and then, so, so I will do breathing. I mean, I'll, I'll do all kinds of things. And during the actual birth, um, it just, it really just depends on what the woman or birthing person says that they need at the time. So if I, and if I, sometimes I learn things that work for some person and they don't know what they want. So I'll go in and I'll start trying. If they don't seem to respond, I'll try something else and try something else until they're like, they seem to get a grip on onto something mentally so that they feel secure mm -hmm. but i will say that um often people don't know that during birth there are breaks between um you know contractions where there is no pain um in most cases when birth is not with without drugs because sometimes there are drugs that are used to induce labor that bring on pain most of the time so it just depends mm -hmm. um but if you're not under most circumstances there are breaks between the the times of feeling discomfort so um you know during those breaks we often say you do you want to try this what do you think about this how did you like that um okay. would you like to try something else like or would, you, would this position because we're trained in different positions as well to help bring down the baby um mm -hmm certain techniques to kind of shift everything around inside, um, you know, because I'm not medical, I don't do anything medical, but, you know, massage and positions are, are things that I'm, I'm definitely able to do. Um, so that's, that's basically what happens during those situations. And like I said, advocacy, if I feel like someone's not understanding something that's being said, I make sure that my, my clients fully understand what's happening or they ask questions, or if they told me, no, I didn't want this, I'll say, hey, Amy, this, they're, they're wanting to do this. Do you want to do this? Just to kind of remind them, you know, you have a choice. You yeah. always have a choice. So if you don't want this, you need to say so. But I don't say that because I don't want to create conflict. But I'll say, is this something that you want? And then they'll say, no, I don't. Or yes, I do. That's fine. So just making sure that they understand and that they're consenting um, because they, most of the time people are not given an option. Yeah. They have an option, but they're not presented with an option in, in that way. They're not saying, would you mind if we do this? It's more, we're doing this. Mm -hmm. Unless, and they don't say unless you say not to, but you can always say not to. And that's something that I try to impress on my clients. Mm -hmm. And then postpartum, after the baby is born, I usually leave immediately. I want to let the family have time alone um, unless they need help with little things. I'll 
stay for maybe an hour tops and then I'll leave and then I'll go home and then I'll come back. Um, there are postpartum doulas who are only part postpartum doulas and what they do is just take care of anything that the mother needs during postpartum time. So depending on how much family, familial support the, the um, birthing person has, um, they may or may not feel the need for a postpartum doula. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things like that are, that have changed for a lot of people. They have this new baby that they need to take care of, need to feed often and probably not sleeping very much. So a doula will come in and they can do laundry, they can cook, they can food prep, they can take the baby, bathe the baby, help you learn how to swaddle a baby, um, you know, let the mother sleep while she, you, the, the, the doula takes care of the baby. And the doula is not a babysitter. The doula is there a support from the mother. You may, the doula may come in just to listen to the mother talk about the things that are bothering her. Mm -hmm. And um, there are other things as well, like um, if, the, if there are abnormalities that the birthing person is experiencing post-birth, um, that's a time when they can say, hey, like I'm experiencing this feeling, is this normal? And then as a doula, I can say, oh, I've heard of that a lot. And yes, it's normal. Or no, I don't know if that's normal. You should go and see a doctor. Um, so I usually, I always come at least one time, um, you know, as part of the package, just to see how everything is at home and to help um, make sure that the, the birthing person feels supported afterwards as well. Because oftentimes women and birthing people feel that as soon as their baby is born, they're kind of thrown to the side. Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like, now it's all about baby, less about parent. So, you know, all of these things that they're experiencing, including pelvic floor health, are just kind of brushed aside and not focused on. Um, so as a postpartum doula, those things can be spoken about and then you know, say somebody's experiencing incontinence during that time and they, they mention it to me and they think it's normal. And when in fact, maybe it's common, but that's not normal. You shouldn't be experiencing that. And I can say, hey, you really shouldn't be experiencing that. You should go and see a public floor physical therapist that will help you and you'll, you know, that will help you like throughout your life because you can continue having these problems forever yeah. unless you, um, you know, you seek help because there are things you can do on your own. But most of the time, if it's to the level where they're complaining about it, they really should be seen. So that's, that's one of the things that, that I do in my postpartum visits. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. All of that. <laughs> um, wow. My mind is just like, it all, it all like makes sense and it all connects together. And it's just like so important because especially for like new moms, I bet, you know, like, um, like they haven't been through it before and like their partner hasn't been through it before probably. Mm -hmm. And sometimes their partner, depending on the couple, sometimes the partner is not very supportive. Sometimes the partner isn't an ideal partner um, for them in general. And so they feel very much alone through this whole process. And, and so it's good for them to have a doula there to serve as that, that, per, that you know, it's not 
Adula's job to go and correct relationship issues, obviously, but it's good to be there to prevent conflict mm -hmm. and to stand in as that support person. Um, I personally, I would love to have Adula because while my husband is wonderful and supportive and he knows how to comfort me, I would never want to put the pressure on him to have to do that because it's very hard work to fully support someone. It's very, very, very hard work. Well, you have officially convinced me to <laughs> have a doula. <laughs> yes. So it's, it, and it's so much better for the significant other as well. It's, it's just a great, a great, great thing. And it is expensive, I'm not gonna lie, but the reason that it's expensive, and I'm talking, depending on where you are, can be anywhere from $600 to $1,000 including and that a lot of times um 1200 depending on packages as well so um i mean i mean i don't mind talking about money so i'll just say that i mean i charge 600 dollars for a basic birth where i don't have any prenatals i'm going to charge 800 dollars if you're going to come in and i'm going to see you three times before the birth and then see you again afterwards so but that also is one of the things where you have to keep in mind that the doula is on call for a very long time um basically when the when the parent becomes 36 weeks pregnant all the way until the time that the baby is born which could be up to 42 weeks which is like six weeks of potential time being on call means no no drinking no staying up late um you know no going out of town mm -hmm. and if you have six clients and they're all due different times of the year then you are basically home locked the entire time and there are doulas that do that wow. um, there are people who are full-time doulas, especially in New York, and they charge even more up in New York than they do in Atlanta. <laughs> they charge a lot, but- They charge in New York. It's, I, I, it's a lot. I, I mean, more than that. It's, I think it's starting out 1,200 and going up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing is, you are getting a lot of return for that. And if you, so, I mean, that's something that I, would, will, I will be doing. So, anyway. That, that's something to keep in mind, but pregnancies are expensive in general. <laughs> <laughs> they, tend, they tend to be, so, um, but it is unfortunate for now, the doulas, you know, doulas are not considered medical, so they cannot be covered under insurance. Mm -hmm. So that's unfortunate, but, but yes, um, I, I um, hate to, I, I, I'm eager to talk about this, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into the hypnodula stuff as well. Go ahead. Um, since you have that on your, your list of things to talk about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What is a hypno? I saw it somewhere when I was looking at questions and I was like, what is that? I've never heard of that. So a hypnodula, it, it's a very specific type of childbirth education mm -hmm. um, that involves using hypnosis to invoke a calm state for the mother basically and I, I mean when I, I went and intended attended an entire session it was like a six-week course and I went every night and was there for three hours every night and watched this sort of thing um and basically it's it's um you learn about birth but you also train your brain and basically brainwash yourself into believing that every that your birth is going to be comfortable and fine and safe and because you're creating that safe space in your mind, and plus hypnosis is a whole different realm, but you hypnotize yourself 
by basically psychologically brainwashing yourself by rep repetitive audios about how everything, you know, putting yourself in a peaceful place during, during what they call birthing waves mm -hmm. instead of contractions, using language that's non-aggressive um, so that when it comes to the time when they're, they're about to give birth, they're already trained in how to react mm -hmm. when they feel a birthing wave. So they'll, um, and, and hypnodoula is someone who's trained in the verbal cues for that. So for example, when someone's, you can tell when somebody's about to feel a contraction, they're, they tense up and they start doing that. And then at that point, I would say, oh, three, two, one, peace. And you have to say peace in this very particular way because you have to match the audio tapes they've been listening to. Because they've trained themselves, when they hear that, they relax. Mm -hmm. And then there's certain keywords that are said by the doula to help them through that. It's not that I'm hypnotizing them. It's that I'm using the keywords that they have been trained. They've been training over the past few weeks to recognize so that they relax. And that is a very, very effective um, method of, of um, coping with the sensations of birth. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the times that I've done that, I've been with clients who are hypnodoula clients, or not hypnodoulas, hypnobabies is a company who does this. They, they have other hypnosis companies, but that's the, the biggest one, hypnobabies. Mm -hmm. When they do hypnobabies, um, I mean, there is a situation where the woman, she didn't realize how far along she was because of how, how well she was con dealing with, with the, the contractions. So by the time we got to the hospital, it was almost too late. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, and so often there's a lot of success stories. You have to do your homework. You can't just hope that it will do itself. If, if, if you're wanting to do hypnobabies, you have to really commit to reading and doing all of the, the audios because if you don't then it then you're not going to be able to get yourself into that state of mind um it's very interesting and um it's a great tool mm -hmm. to use how how early do people start that training um generally i i um, i think it's encouraged to start within your last trimester okay. um because they want the, the messages to stay fresh mm -hmm. within the mind of the, of the persons. Because if you're, um, if you start doing that and then you kind of let it slide for a while, if you start in your first trimester and then you don't really work on it for a while, then you lose it. Um, so there's a lot less room for error um, in, that, in that way. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I, I, I really, I find it interesting and very helpful. A lot, of, a lot of nurses are now very familiar with this because yeah. um, at first, a few years ago, they weren't. But now they're like, oh, you know, if you're dealing with it so well, are you a hypno-babies? And they're, they're like, yeah, so, <laughs> or no. But, you know, <laughs> depending, just depending on who, who I mean, how, how each person is feeling. Yeah. And really, the sensations vary person to person. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair to say that, you know, you don't want to sit. I don't want to say that you know, that it's not uncomfortable, but other, just depending on the psychosis of different people, it can work better or worse for, for different people. Mm -hmm. Wow, very, very interesting stuff. <laughs>
Um, so before we switch gears to nutrition, is there anything else about um, being a doula or um, birthing persons to know about it before we switch over to nutrition? Um, I think that, I guess when you're, if, if you're thinking about choosing a doula, it's very important that you interview multiple doulas. You don't just go with the first one that you meet. Um, and the reason is because just like with everything else, you, you vibe with some people, you don't with others. And you really, it's very important to find somebody that makes you feel comfortable. Um, so if you feel like when you go, maybe a lot of times people call me to go to Starbucks or have some tea. I'll go there and we'll, we'll talk and we'll chat and they'll kind of give me an idea what they want. And then they'll ask me questions about how, about my background. Mm -hmm. So you can, they want to interview me and you interview the doulas and ask them things like, I don't know, just, just things that people may be concerned with when they're looking for a doula. And then also, do they like the doula? Is it somebody that they feel um, will get them, you know, or do they like them, but they're just not feeling them like that. So it's just important to find somebody that you like very much like, and you're very excited to work with. Mm -hmm. um, and I have been trained as a doula to pick my clients as well. I won't necessarily accept clients that I think we won't work well together, even if they do like me. Just, and I won't necessarily tell them, you know, I don't want to work with you because I don't think that we have good chemistry, but I will find a way to encourage them to seek someone else that's better fit. Mm -hmm. um, just because there will be somebody that's a better fit for them. Um, but it's just sometimes if you can tell that you're going to clash in some way, you just want to avoid that happening at the, during times when it's very important for that not to happen. Um, it, it, just, it just helps the process so much better. So I, that's, that's what I'd say for sure. Okay. Love you. Very good advice. Um, so in terms of nutrition, what kinds of things about, are important about nutrition during pregnancy versus postpartum and why? Well, so this is a very, very, very in-depth conversation, um, but I will give you a summary to start with, um, and that is just that pre-pregnancy is important as well if someone's thinking about conceiving. Um, you know, it's good to see a dietitian. It's good to have a balanced diet, but I mean, that's very easy for me to say, but not everybody knows what that means. In reality and I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and go through every element of a balanced diet but it, you know you need to have counseling on your the particular habits um, that would be a very good move and a lot of times and I, I, I will say that a lot of people don't know that dietitians oftentimes if you're pregnant you won't be charged to see a dietitian by your insurance or you're charged very little um, depending on your plan of course but there are a lot of people who won't be charged or you're charged you know 20, 30, $50, whatever your copay is, to see them. And so, um, but I will say too, there's a lot of misinformation about how much women should eat during their pregnancies. Um, there's a tendency, a very antiquated tendency for women to um, overconsume during pregnancy because of, especially that saying, eating for two. Mm -hmm. when in fact that is not necessarily um, the greatest 
piece of advice. And then, so, so during pregnancy, it's kind of guiding people towards nutrient-rich sources of food, things that are, and that's the same thing for, for pre-pregnancy as well. It's, it's going to be the same type of diet. You're going to kind of follow the same thing um, where, you know, you focus a lot on getting all of your vitamins and minerals, preferably from food, because that's absorbed best in that form. Um, and then your body's absorbing the right amounts of it and all. Um, but then, um, so, you know, the things like gestational diabetes, some women experience diabetes during pregnancy, and then you would definitely want to see a dietitian for that, um, to manage your insulin during, um, not just your insulin, but, you know, your, your, um, carbohydrate intake and not just the intake, but the, the timing and all of those things you learn how to do with a dietitian during pregnancy. Um, and then... So there are certain caloric requirements during pregnancy that change. And I can tell you that the first trimester, you aren't requiring any more um, calories than you normally would if you were not pregnant. And then it bumps up just to a little bit more, you know, a couple hundred more, which, uh, you know, is going to equal to maybe half a granola bar more of calories per day. That's not as much as I thought. Yes, and then when you get to your third month, um, and you do want to gain weight because, and I'm not talking about fat, I'm talking about weight, but there's a certain, the doctors, doctors know, and dietitians also know, but there's a certain amount of weight per week here during certain times. So the first three months, you're not supposed to gain weight. Then you're supposed to gain, you know, maybe like a pound a week, like uh, for a little while, because of the amniotic fluid that's, that's accumulating in you, um, the baby's growing, mm -hmm. there's milk glands that are developing. So there are a lot of things that contribute to that weight. And maybe there is a little bit extra fat, but there shouldn't be that much. Um, and then when you come into the third trimester, you're gonna be eating a little bit more. So it's more like a whole granola bar, more calories per day. So in addition to everything that you've been eating normally. So, so, you know, and, and the dietitian and doctor will let you know when you're on, on track, because there it is very important not to gain too little, not to gain too much. There's a spectrum of how much is appropriate for each person. And then postpartum, um, you, there isn't a huge, there's a little bit more even calories that's needed during that time, because if, the, the woman is breastfeeding. Okay. Um, but not much either. So, and I think a lot of people have a tendency to overeat during these times in order to feel safe. Um, you know, feeling like they're nourishing their baby enough. Uh, they to feel like they're not. I mean, there's a lot of insecurities that come up and a lot of emotions that come up, and sometimes those are dealt with with food, or. You're, the person is in, insecure about, about food, or even if someone is low income, maybe they don't have great choices. Maybe they don't have access to fresh produce and fresh, fresh um, fruits and vegetables and, and meat and, and all those sorts of things. And they're relying on um, food that they, they find, you know, they get at a gas station or somewhere that's close, like a convenience store. Um, and they're, maybe they're not eating enough. So all of those factors 
are important to take into consideration. Um, and, and it's very important that, I think the number one important thing for, at least for the fetal growth, when it comes, oh, there's so many important things. I actually don't want to say that. There's no one most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, so, so I went on a bit of a tangent with that because there's a lot to say and, um, you know, I don't want to overload the information. It was a little. That, <laughs> that is the general pre, so, so just to sum it up is that uh, Pre-conception, first trimester, you don't need all that much extra calories. Second trimester, just a little bit more calories. Third trimester, just a little bit more calories. And then just a little bit more calories if you're breastfeeding at the end. So it's, and, and if you're unsure, you can always ask. You can even Google it. Um, I actually don't want to say that, but you probably can find the right answer. <laughs> I don't know what else will pop up if you Google it. True. But I will say that there are, you know, if you, if you Google caloric requirements for first trimester, caloric requirements for second trimester, then I'm pretty sure it will come up. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so one of the most, the most important reason that I advocate for this life period, this time in the life cycle to have focus on nutrition is because the actions of the parents nutritionally during and before pregnancy, but I'm talking them, the both parties involved. So the birthing person and the man or the, you know, and I, though the, their lifestyle factors will play a, a huge role in predetermining the chronic illnesses of that child mm -hmm. into adulthood. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very important because if, if people are encouraged to see a dietitian during preconception, during pregnancy, there is a better chance that when they're more educated about these things, that their child will have less chance of, of diabetes, mm -hmm. of heart disease, of obesity. I mean, the list goes on and on of the common chronic illnesses we see today. And those can be caused by, by a lot of things. So, and there's been many, many, many studies about all of those things. And, you know, we talked about this a lot in my master's course about the importance of the space. Um, so if you're okay with it and have time, I would love to shed a little light on that. There's some of the facts around, around that. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Definitely share that. I think <laughs> that's what you had added to, I think. Yeah, I did. And I'm not going to go through everything that I added. I just kind of plopped that there for your use. But um, so there are different things, you know, obviously if someone who's, um, you know, before pregnancy or during pregnancy, if they have nutrient deficiencies, that can cause issues. But I'm particularly with Foley, for example, um, that can cause neural tube, neural tube defi uh, 
like a neural tube defect, mm -hmm. which is a very serious defect, which if you don't know what that is, it involves a bit, it's spina bifida, mm -hmm. and it causes the spine to um, kind of come out of the back, and it can cause lots and lots of problems um, in many, many ways. And so that doesn't come, it's not very common in the US anymore, um, because Foley is added to cereals and breads and granola bars and all kinds of um, starches that are manufactured in order to prevent that from happening. That was one of the public health actions that were taken in order to help decrease that. Um, so it's, it is less, but that's just one example. But one of the big things, because it's an epidemic, is obesity. The role obesity has in <clears throat> in predetermining someone's risk for all those chronic illnesses is one of the biggest um, the biggest concerns. It was something that we talked about on I, it's something that they were asking us about on our exam um, when I was finishing my master's, our final, final, final master's exam, we had to talk about that because it's so important. Um, and the, 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 I copied and pasted you a copy of some of the notes that I have, and that's studying for my, those specific things they're asking. So, but men and women, um, I, one of the biggest things they say is before conception, if you're trying to conceive, um, getting down to a normal BMI or more normal body fat percentage that will not only help fertility, it will help um, in the chances of getting pregnant, but it also will decrease the child's risk of having obesity. Mm -hmm. uh, it decreases the risk for cesarean birth, um, gestation diabetes. Um, it decreases, and I'm talking about losing the weight, decreases the chance of like cardiovascular disease, hypertension, preeclampsia. Preeclampsia is very dangerous. I don't know if you're familiar with preeclampsia, but that's when it's basically like high, very high blood pressure during pregnancy that can cause clotting and all kinds of other issues that can result in very fatal problems. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and then it also decreases the chance of having a stillbirth when you lose weight before you get pregnant. Um, you don't want to lose weight necessarily very much when you are pregnant. Um, it's not considered to be a safe practice. So, but following the, the guidelines per, that are prescribed by the dietitian will help um, with those things as well. It's not that if, you know, if you are overweight, you can't and shouldn't get pregnant. I'm not trying to say that, but I am saying that it will help in a lot of ways if it is a, if the person is able to lose weight and wishes to lose weight, that will help. But during pregnancy, there will be specific requirements that they will have less, less weight gain as someone who's overweight and obese in order to help prevent these issues. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they'll be completely, you know, the ideal situation is having someone with a normal body weight range, not pre, not, not, pre-normal body weight range. I mean, we're not underweight. There's a lot of problems as well. You don't want to be underweight before you get pregnant either. Um, it's just, everything's so uh, interrelated. Mm -hmm. And basically the idea is that, you, that the pregnant person will be in optimal health. 
and so including the absence of obesity. So, um, and then, you know, that will also help them with breastfeeding because it's diff more difficult for women to breastfeed when, um, for like if you're obese, it's, it is more difficult. So, and then the breastfeeding, I don't know if you've heard much of the things said about breastfeeding, but there's a lot of chronic disease that can be prevented through breastfeeding as well. And I can also say in turn, the lack of breastfeeding has been associated with other chronic disease. So, or like the mother. No, for the baby. For the baby. Oh. I'm talking about just for the baby. Okay. So for the baby, going into adulthood, some of the things, I'm not saying that these are guaranteed, mm -hmm. but they are at a higher risk than they would have been um, if the parents had been a l more educated before conception and during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And even... And I mean, this isn't what we're talking about, but even in early childhood, um, there's a lot of things that, that should be discussed, but that isn't really, cause that goes into sort of peds, um, you know, so, but keeping with, you know, babies and mothers, that whole time period is, is essential for setting up that child to have a healthy life. Mm -hmm. And so over, an overarching idea is that if, you know, dietitians are provided for pregnant women, you know, are referred to pregnant, like if you're at the OBGYN and everyone is told, hey, come and see me for your OBGYN appointment. And then once a month, go and see a dietitian here in the office. I mean, that would be ideal so that everybody's talked to. Um, because it's not just for people who are overweight that need this. It's people who who may not look like they have a poor diet, but maybe they do because of whatever social reason or or economical reason or you know whatever reason, mental health. I mean, there can be a a huge array of reasons, and it's not the person's fault ever, but it also means they need help. So you never know just by looking at somebody if they need to see a dietitian. And it's unfair to assume that. So it's better to assume that everyone should see the dietitian. Mm -hmm. And so if that was included in more OBGYN practices or even having practices refer out to dietitians, because dietitians are specialists in the same way that uh, ENTs are, in the same way that a counselor would be a psychological, like psychologist or any of those things, those are considered specialty and you can get covered by that with your insurance. You don't have to pay for that a lot of times. So, or you very small amount, you'll pay just the same amount you'd see to a specialist. Um, and even I think certain companies, they, if you, if you do classify as being overweight or obese, it's free. Wow. So um, those are something that, I mean, I'd like to see that in the future so that people, can be seen and then we have healthier babies and then with healthier babies and and healthier parents so healthier parents healthier babies and then since the parents are more educated about their own eating and their child's eating then we have healthier children and then they have healthier habits and going into adulthood they can they know how to do those things so i mean it just really starts at the very beginning of somebody's life and even onto their mother because their life begins in their mother Mm -hmm. And so, 
I mean, that is, that is something that's just not, something's missing in the picture right now. Um, and that's really what I want. I want to, I really want to close that gap. So part of what I'm planning on doing is I'm going to be going out to different, I mean, once this, this virus is kind of backed off a little bit, I'm going to really full force into looking around at local OB-GYN offices and midwife offices and say, hey, here's a referral form. If you have a patient who wants to see a dietitian, send them over to me. I'll be happy to see them. I take this insurance, this insurance, this insurance, and then just kind of leave them my card. And because they want that, they want to have the resources to send their, their patients to the places that they need to go. Yeah. And even, even regular um, primary physicians can benefit from having that. So, and I'd like to see other dietitians doing the same because there really is a great need for this. And there isn't very many, there aren't very many people who are doing this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a specialty because we have specialties that we can certify in as a dietitian and that's not an option. And I find that so confusing. I mean, it's like an option and specialty, like every other kind of medical healthcare kind of. Yeah, I mean, we have diet, if you're, you want a specialty, there are people who specialize in wound care. Mm -hmm. Someone who, and they work alongside physical therapists because dietitians, they play a big part in wound healing. So because of the, the nutrition that goes into healing that wound. So there are people, I know dietitians that are wound, wound um, healing specialized and they have that certification that's accredited through the Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, mm -hmm. which is like the overarching governing you know, group in the United States. Um, but then they have that for diabetes and they have that for sports nutrition. You can be a specialized sports, sports dietitian, um, but they don't have it for <laughs> women's health. And I just find that mind blowing. I think actually. Yeah. Um, I really, I really don't understand it. <laughs> um, but I feel like if it's made more, if people are more aware of it and they're aware of the importance outside of public health, because most of the public health dietitians, they're in public health. They're working at the CDC and they're, and they're, they're looking at numbers and they're not necessarily, or they're, I mean, it just depends. It's very, public health is a whole different realm. But as someone, I'm technically clinical, mm -hmm. even though I'm working in the community, because I'm working one-on-one, -on -one, it's considered more clinical. Okay. Um, but from that side, I still would like to spin off of that and have that public health component of taking care of the population by providing these things more. Now, I can think of one place that exists. Mm -hmm. It's WIC. Women, I don't know, are you aware of WIC? No, I haven't heard of that. WIC is um, a government-funded program for individuals that are lower than a certain percentile of the, um, you know, the poverty level. Mm -hmm. So if they meet the criteria, you can apply to go to WIC. And that's only when you're pregnant and it's only when you have a child. I really should know this by heart, but... <laughs> because um, I've studied it a thousand times, but I think it's up to two years old. Um, and then they get basically something similar to food stamps for groceries and for certain things. They can't buy just anything. It's more restrictive 
than that type of assistance, but they can buy certain types of healthy choices. Mm -hmm. um, and then they also have meetings with dietitians. Mm. But as someone who has been at a WIC, um, there is, a, as, and I don't want to seem judgmental because they really do try, but any, most government programs, there's a lot, it leaves a lot to be desired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are the dietitians, I'm not going to, the dietitians there often meet with people who are required to see them and they feel, um, they might feel a certain bit of shame about certain things because of their situation and being there and asking for assistance or whatever the reason. But oftentimes there's very little achieved. The appointments between the dietitian and the patients often last 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that is a very short amount of time. Yeah. And oftentimes nothing's achieved other than taking down their weight, making sure that they're not malnourished and then sending them on their way. And so, I mean, and I like to see that no, I mean, I would like to see that for that population within their own provider's office because with, you know, most people are now with affordable health care can, they do have some form of insurance. So then they will still have access to a dietitian mm -hmm. um, normally, like an, an, a normal dietitian that you'd see in an outpatient setting. So they can still have these things. Um, so, I mean, I'd like to see it for everyone all across the spectrum of socioeconomic status because that's going to just really change the way that it's going to really make a hard impact on not only the education level of these people being everyone. And <laughs> um, it's also going to change how the population of the next generation is going to be yeah, I feel like if that happened, we would solve the obesity problem in America. <laughs> I'm not sure that it would solve it because it's all there's always a choice, and I know dietitians and know up dietitians who make the choice to not practice what they preach. Oh, okay. And so I mean, there is always a choice, but if there's education component where they know how to do these things, if they know you know, this is how I, I eat healthy. This is what I do to have a balanced diet. This is what I need for me and my particular health problems that I have. Like, if you know all of those things, you can choose whether or not to do it. If you don't know what you don't, I mean, you don't know. Most people don't know. And I, I often forget um, how little is emphasized about nutrition and how little education everyone has, because in public school, you certainly don't get it. Um, you know, you just don't know much about nutrition. And so, um, so once that choice is there, once someone does understand what they need to do, they can decide whether or not they want to. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I don't think that would solve the problem, but it definitely would help. Yeah. At least people will be educated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is my, my, <laughs> my high dream is for that to happen. I don't think that that's going to necessarily be me that does that, but I also think that it's important for, for these things to start happening, even on a small level, 
just to kind of see more of it and get people inspired to do the same. Yeah. Well, I think that's an amazing dream and like hope for the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. I'm very <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, um, lastly, just I saw on your website that you do like belly and bust cast moldings. I know this is so <laughs> dumb, but I just wanted to know more about like how you got into that. <laughs> well, I, I come from an art background. I was educated in art background um, before anything else. And so I've noticed it wasn't necessarily um, something that I found very challenging. I mean, it is a challenge, but it, it's something that comes naturally to me, I mean to say. Um, and that's something that people, a lot of people want is a memorial of their belly and their, their body and how it looked. And so, um, you know, there's kind of like a plaster molding thing. It's a, it's a bit of a trend um, where um, you'll put a plaster thing around and then, and then I'll, once it's done I'll, and dry, I'll sand it and I'll paint it however they want it painted and then they can keep it as either like a bowl, like a decorative bowl or... You have pictures of it on your website, right? Yeah, and, and, and um, so I, I do, and I don't have a lot of them, honestly. Um, but there, I did post a picture of two, of one of the bowls and one of a casting that I did. Okay. So the casting is a little bit different. My client wanted, I put basically um, some sort of rubber it's alginate. I don't know if you know what that is, but if you ever go to the dentist or orthodontist and they put this kind of goop in your mouth, you bite down and it turns solid and then they make a mold out of your mouth so that they can fix your teeth. Um, you, you might see that on, on some of the advertisements for different like Invisaligns and such. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you use that and pour it all over the body and then put plaster on it and then make an exact mold of that person's body. So that is challenging. It is, it's been a challenge because plaster is a crazy medium, but, uh, and she wanted it painted um, a particular way. So I made a piece for her so that she ended up sending it back to her family in the, the country that they live. Oh. And they keep it as like their little <laughs> memorial of, of, how, of her pregnant time. So and they didn't get to experience it because they were living in a different country so it was like a sweet gift that she gave them um so yeah there's a lot of people who do it themselves as well mm -hmm. at home you can do it at home um just wow. how brave you are <laughs> i had no idea i saw that and i was like i have to ask <laughs> <laughs> um well awesome thank you so much you have bestowed a ton of knowledge to me to the listeners and um, I'm so happy that um, you were able to do this with us. Thank you so much for having me. And I really hope I didn't overload the information. I tend to get a little bit excited and just start going on and on. But um, luckily, you recorded it. So mm -hmm. if you have any questions <laughs> later, you can go back and listen. Just find where you said it and listen to it again. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to it. Um, and it's hard. It's and we did touch on, on quite a few different careers. I know, yeah. So, 
Those people aren't both, so we had a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was true. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Core 4 Momentum Podcast. We believe that the journey through womanhood is incredibly special, but also difficult. Know that you were never meant to walk your journey alone. If you are looking for a community of women to walk alongside you as we learn about our bodies and pelvic health needs from experts in the field of pelvic physical therapy, check out our private Facebook group, Core for Momentum. That's Core, the number four, Momentum. We would love to have you join our tribe of empowered women. And if you are a pre-PT student, student physical therapist, or entry-level clinician searching for online education and mentorship to become a pelvic health practitioner, check out the private Facebook group, Pelvic Health Kickstarters. Be a part of the next generation of pelvic health clinicians who will change our world. Lastly, be sure to check back weekly for new episodes and subscribe. Until next time, stay empowered, ladies. Empowered woman empower women.